Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Hey, man, one of my favorite uh, worship songs of all time. Maybe I feel one of the best uh, written uh, songs that there has ever been and just love the truth that we see in uh, the words of that song that it is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone that we are able to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts 4 says that this uh, stone that you have rejected has now become uh, the cornerstone and uh, by the way that there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be Saved and so grateful for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and His grace uh, to us. Let's pray and we'll jump in this morning. Father, we are so grateful, uh, Lord, that you have made a way, Lord, where there was no way. God, against all odds, Lord, you conquered uh, the grave and Lord, there's victory in your name, Father. And we're so thankful to be part of your family, Lord, as we gather today and worship you, God, as we open your word. God, I pray that the power of your spirit might move in this place, Lord, that you might reveal to us areas in our life, Lord, that need to be dealt with. God, places in our life that have become more important than you, Lord, and that we might, Lord, surrender those areas, Lord, that we might leave this place with lives rightly ordered around you. Lord, that we might seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, that we would trust you with all of our hearts. God, we love you, we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. So grateful for all of you being here this morning. Uh, My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here and thankful to be part of a church that uh, we like to say that we love God. Uh, We take the the great... uh, commandment that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We take the great commission that says we're to go into all the world and that to make disciples. And so we love God, we love people, and we put that love in action. Yesterday was a, a special day for uh, our uh, church, and many of you served and were able to be part of uh, Love in Action Day, where we went out kind of in a corporate dynamic and served our community doing just Uh, random uh, acts of kindness, ways that we might serve others so that we uh, would have the ability to uh, just share the love of Christ in a practical way. So thankful that we are a church that does that day in and day out. I see so many of you uh, doing that and it's such a blessing. There are uh, just realities that when we, and studies have shown that when we're willing to serve people, uh, that there's basically twice the likelihood of us being able to share the gospel with them to share our testimony, to open doors for the gospel to go forth. And so we pray for boldness and we pray for open doors. And then every day as we live our lives, uh, we serve people. Maybe the greatest evangelism tool that we have is a towel and a wash basin that we might uh, serve our neighbors. And so it's amazing how far uh, just some cookies and a a smile will go with your neighbor and opening doors for the word uh, to go forth. If you are a guest with us, maybe you encountered uh, some of those folks out yesterday and we're so grateful that you're here. We'd love to hear uh, from you. There's a, a number that'll come up on the screen, a text number, and we'll leave that up for a few minutes. But if it's uh, a time that you'd like to connect with us, you can text uh, guest, the word guest to 828 477 
3-7, and you can even do that right now if you want to. We uh, would be glad for that. So we'll leave that number up for uh, just a few minutes. And by the way, you can text anything you want to that number, and it'll actually come to my phone. So just be aware of that. If you text the word guest, you'll receive uh, kind of an automated uh, gift that will come to you and just some information about our church. We promise not to be there uh, this afternoon at your house causing any trouble or anything like that. We just love to connect when you are ready. Uh, we have some connect cards as well and some gifts for you if you uh, would just like to learn more about who we are. Now we're in the midst of a series called Kings and Kingdoms and Pastor Chris uh, kicked that off last week while I was away and, and appreciate all of you and your encouragement kind of as I was uh, finishing up my school journey and just the blessing that you all have been uh, through that process and uh, Pastor Chris did just a wonderful job, and we'd been walking through and looking at the life of David. And so we, as a faith family, are walking through the scriptures this year together. And if you uh, haven't joined in that, it's a perfect time to just jump in. You'll see printed copies of that. But basically, we're looking at this grand narrative of scripture. We're looking at these key passages and places on Sunday mornings. And we're looking at, at this thread of Christ throughout the whole story uh, of scripture. And as we, we look at that, then through the week, as you read, you kind of get the rest of the story. So we encourage you uh, to jump in there. And today we're going to be looking at a transition of kings. So we've seen uh, King David and, and seen him and his high moments. And then we've seen uh, and, and touched briefly on some of those lower moments along the way. And today we're going to pick up where he is giving a charge to his son, Solomon. And so we're going to see this, this transition of kings. And there's so many things that stand out about his reign and so many things that we could spend all of our service on. But I want to take a, a little bit longer journey in his life this morning. And normally uh, I prefer to take just one passage of scripture and just to walk verse by verse through that. But we're going we're gonna to kind of cover some high spots in several chapters of the book of First Kings. And so if you want to take your copy of God's word and turn uh, to First Kings, we'll begin in chapter number two and we'll, we'll end in chapter number uh, 11. And, you know, as I was reading all these just these chapters this week, and I was praying about where God would, would have us be this morning and what it is that we could learn, what it is that we could take away as a people from the life of Solomon. And as I read some of those things, there were, there were moments this week that the Spirit of God just convicted and stirred my heart in such a way that, um, that I just want to share with you what God has kind of already been processing in me. And here's this man named Solomon, right? And we see him start in, in just an incredible way. And we're going to see some incredible things that he did. We're going to see that part of his reign was really maybe the golden years of the children uh, of Israel. And we're going to see just some incredible things about his life. But there's a moment and there's a point, and we're going to kind of see maybe how far back it goes, that this great king, that his heart was led astray from purity of devotion and worship to Yahweh, that his heart was led astray from devotion to Christ and pure worship to, to, to God. And, and when that happened, we see the incredible fallout and what we see that his heart was led away. And I want to talk to you today about what it looks like and, and just the damage and dangers of an unguarded heart. Now, when I was thinking about just this unguarded heart, how many of you remember Steve Irwin? Anybody remember Steve 
Everyone, like, some of you that were a little bit younger, you maybe, like, have heard about that guy, you know, if you're, like, 15 or younger, he passed away about 15 years ago, and, and I used to watch him, and I would see this guy, and I'll tell you, there's some man, men's men, you know, in the world, and you look at him, and you're like, man, that dude's got some courage right there, right? That's the kind of way I think of him. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you, like, when it comes to snakes and spiders and crawly things, I don't want nothing to do with them. Like, I like to kill them from a distance, right? It's just... Now, now, there's some crazy people in the room, right? The Jennings brothers, those guys, like, like there was a copperhead. It's been a long time, so don't be scared when you leave the church. There's a copperhead outside. They're like, oh, a copperhead. Let's catch him and play with them. And I'm like, man, are y'all serious? Like, I mean, I mean, they're like, yeah, well, I had a snake. It got loose in the house a few months ago. I hadn't seen it in a while. I'm like, I, my, I, there'd be no sleeping in my house, right? It just, like, we burned the place down. We just moved out. I mean, that's. That's kind of how I look at those moments, right? And, and he's that kind of guy. I remember when, when Sherry and I first got married, like I should have gave up my man card like early in our marriage because ultimately like, it was this spider on the wall. It was one of those jumping spiders. I'm walking by, that thing jumps on me. I scream like a girl and she comes over and kills it, right? I'm thinking, this is not the way to start out. Like the only thing that could, I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. Like I've had to man up on some of that stuff. But this guy was crazy. And so if you just want to see a couple things like along the journey, here's, here's just a little bit of some clips of Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. So like, I remember like 15 years ago, I heard this guy died. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, just to be honest, like at the beginning, it wasn't that big a surprise because I mean, I mean, I'm thinking at least at some point, I'm going to find out he lost his hand. Like, like he's like, here little alligator. Yeah, I'm thinking this is, this guy's crazy, right? And, and when I heard about the way this guy died though, it was something that was just crazy because here he is dealing with all these, these wild animals and all these alligators and snakes and I mean you got like a black mom out there like, eh. I'm, I'm thinking this is not this is not wise right and, and I'm I'm looking at his life but but there's a, a moment in his life and it's my understanding that they were filming and it was a uh, kind of some weird weather and and James Jones who, who actually has been been part of some diving with the Custos and, and he was sharing even knowing the people that were filming that day and, and they changed their plans and began to uh, to kind of go a different direction he wasn't one just to sit around and do nothing and they saw this stingray and they began to film for another project they were kind of filming this most dangerous dangerous animals uh, of the sea and they said we're going to use this for something else and there was this giant stingray and normally they're like the most gentle animals like uh, gentle uh, sea creatures that are there right they're like the most gentle of all and, and they're not really you know, something to be alarmed about. And really the only way that one of these stingrays would kill you is if you were to be pierced by the barbs that are, are there. And so here's Steve Irwin, and, the, and I've read that maybe they thought that his shadow, that maybe this stingray thought his shadow was a tiger shark or uh, something, one of the predators that were there. And he ended up uh, piercing the heart of this crocodile hunter. And, and in those moments, he pulled that barb out. And, and because of that, the, the, the bleeding caused him to die tragically. I believe he was 46 years old. And I'm thinking, man, of all the things, like, I, you know, if, if we were just to look at his life, and I think if I read correctly, there's only been like 30 people that have been killed by a stingray that's been recorded, right? And there's like, like crocodiles, there's like a thousand of those a year. Like, 
And, and I'm sure there's some of them they hadn't found in their bellies they don't even know about, right? And this guy's dealing with all that. And then there's something that he would have never expected. And it pierces his heart. And as we look at the life of Solomon and as we think about our own lives, I want to challenge you that there's something more dangerous than any of those things that we see. And there's something more dangerous in our very lives that there's this potential with us that we might have our hearts led astray, that we might have our hearts led astray from purity of worship and devotion to Christ, that there might be something else in our life that begins to take the first place in our lives outside of the proper relationship with God. We're going to jump in in 1 Kings chapter number 2, and, and we're going to just kind of walk through. So if you'll take your copy of God's Word, we're, we're just going to jump through that, and we'll bounce around a bit. But we're going to see this charge that begins. And so in verse 1 of chapter 2, we see this. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. So here's this charge that he's going to give him. And then what's it going to look like to live in that way? What's it going to look like? What's he going to tell him? I mean, when people are giving this kind of charge, like I'm going to be leaving here and I want you to lean into my words. I've, I've, I've understood what it was like to be on the tops. I've understood what it was like uh, to see God work through me in, in David and Goliath moments. I've understood what it was like to fall in moments of uh, of improper lust, right? And, and to see these stories of David and Bathsheba. And he says, here, I want you to listen to my words because I know what it's felt like in all those places. And he says this, keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. And then he gives him th this reminder of this promise. He said, listen, you're to walk in these ways. And if you do, verse four, so that the Lord may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me saying, if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And so there's this incredible charge. There's this incredible moment, right? And, and Solomon follows the ways of his father, David, right? He follows this charge for a while. And we think about Solomon and here's this guy, right? That builds a temple for the Lord, right? There's this guy that, that we read about. And when we think about him, we think about him and we know him as the wisest man who ever lived, right? That's what we think about. And there's these incredible stories, right? In chapter three, you know, let's go ahead and turn to chapter three, but, but there's these incredible incredible stories of, of Solomon's life and of his request to God, right? We read that God encountered him, even in, in God's grace, encountered him in one of the high places and in, in a dream, right? This is an incredible thing, right? That God in his grace is doing for him. And, he, and in this dream, he gives him the ability to ask for anything he wants, right? And some of us are thinking, man, that'd be awesome. Like all the jokes we used to hear about, like you find the genie, genie gives you three wishes. There's all, I mean, we think about these kind of moments, like God is saying, hey, let me know what you want, and, and I will grant you those things. And in verse 9, Solomon asked for this. He says, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Right? And this was pleasing to the Lord in verse 10. It says, and God says, hey, because you've asked for this, and not have asked for like long life or riches and, and 
you, you've asked for something like this. I'm going to give you this wise and discerning heart, and I'm also going to bless you in so many other ways, right? And so here is this picture, right? He, he asks for wisdom. And in the early part of his reign, these golden years of the children of Israel, these golden years, and he starts out so good. He starts out so good. And, and then there's this slow fade. Then there's this thing that happens in his life, and I believe it happened over time. And by chapter 11, he is in a crazy place, a place that I can assure you he never thought that he would have ended up in, a place that, that literally caused the kingdom to be divided, the destruction that took place, the things that happened in his family, the things that happened in the children of Israel, a fallout that we would have never thought would have taken place. And I believe that, that the indications of some of this started early. Go back to verse one in chapter number three. And the scripture says this, then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. And so perhaps in these moments, it shows him trusting in political alliances. And, and, and we see him uh, that, that in this moment, maybe he's making decisions that would seem political expedient that would seem good for that, but that were spiritually disastrous. Now, when it talks about him forming this marriage alliance with Pharaoh, and we're going to see his heart later led astray by these foreign wives. I want you to understand, this is not talking about a, a race happening, right? We are children uh, of God, and, and there is one race, right? The human race. This isn't talking about marrying in different races, and we need to be clear of that when we read those kind of scriptures, right? But this is talking about allegiance and, and and unequally yoking oneself among unbelievers and among pagans, among those that were outside of the faith. And it had been forbidden in those ways. And so Solomon starts out with this love for God, this, this, this faithfulness in prayer and worship. And as we read through these chapters, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to read very much in those, but what we see him wisely judging, right? God grants him that wisdom. And then in the latter part of chapter three, there's this story about these two prostitutes that come. And many of you remember that story. It's a fun story to preach about and think about where, uh, where they come. And, and one of the children has died and the, and the other lady has swapped this child uh, with, with the woman's child that was alive. And, and she's, you know, he's having to judge between them. And she's saying, hey, this child's mine. The, the other lady's saying, hey, this child is mine. And he wisely says, hey, we're gonna cut this child in half and we'll give you each half of it. And the mom, who's the child really belonged to, the mom says, no, 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 she can have him. Like, 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 let her have the child. And he says, okay, give the child to this woman, because obviously the one that loved him, that is the mother. And so we see this kind of moment, right? And then we go on through uh, this, uh, these chapters. Chapter six, we see the building of the temple, right? And we see this just incredible work that is taking place. And we see uh, by chapter eight, we see uh, that the ark is brought into the temple. We see Solomon praying this incredible prayer. Right? We see this prayer of dedication and we see his devotion uh, to the Lord, right? That he's standing uh, before the altar of the Lord, right? And he's spreading his hands out toward, uh, toward heaven, right? In verse 22 of, of chapter eight. And, he, and he's praying, he says, oh Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven and on earth, keeping the covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants before you, 
who walked before you with all of their heart. He talks about how he kept his father, his servant David. He talks about all these moments, right? And so we see this incredible devotion. We see this inspirational type things, right? We see these sacrifices that are given in dedication to the building. And in chapter nine, God gives them just these promises and warnings, right? We see all of these things that are taking place. Chapter 10, the queen of Sheba comes and it's almost like this picture of what it would have looked like if God's people had been covenant walking people and and they've been living in that way and they see the glory of God among those people and she's amazed by all that God's doing. We see all these pictures of God's faithfulness, of Solomon's faithfulness. We see all of these things. We see wealth and wisdom and all these things that he has. And then by chapter 11, something tragically changes, right? By by chapter 11, there's crazy things that are going on, right? And he's been uh, in, in... in the Old Testament law, right, there's things like you're not to worship on high places. Deuteronomy uh, 12 would say, hey, when you go into these, these places, you're to destroy all the high places. You're to not worship God in those places. And we see Solomon was doing those kind of things. And, and for the sake of time, let's jump into chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to see how far Solomon had gone. Verse 1, the scripture says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, Sidonian and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. There was something, see, that turned his heart away from worship to his God. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idols of the Ammonite. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as his father David had done. So here's Solomon. And what we find out from his life, what we know about the other books that he wrote, what we know about Solomon's life is that he was searching for fulfillment in things that would never measure up. He was searching for fulfillment in in all kinds of ways. And what we see in Solomon's life was that, that there is nothing, that there is absolutely nothing in this world, that there's absolutely nothing that will satisfy apart from relationship with God. There is nothing that will satisfy. There's no thing, there's no relationship. There's nothing that satisfies outside of a proper relationship with God and worship to him with all of our hearts. And so we see in his life these huge mistakes. We see uh, these mistakes that would divide the kingdom. We see all of these things. And then in Ecclesiastes, later in his life, we see that he has looked at his life and in all these things that he has sought for, in all these things that he has desired, in all these things that he has said, you know what, if I just get to this place. And some of us are living like that. See, we've, we've made it that if we can reach this place in our life, if we can have this kind of success in our job, if we can have this kind of relationship, and we've elevated those kind of things in our life, and we say, if I could just attain fame, if I could just attain success, if I could just do all of these things, then everything would be perfect. And what Solomon found out, and what so many others, right, we see those that have pursued those kind of things. They've desired wealth, and they've desired fame. And we see the people that maybe have the most things that at some point in their life, they reach that high place where all that they have ever desired is given to them. They have 
have fame and fortune and all of those things and we see them commit suicide and we see them depressed and we see them walking through things because what we find out is there's absolutely nothing outside of a relationship with God that will bring satisfaction in our lives. And in Ecclesiastes 1, uh, Solomon wrote these things, right? He says this, that, that apart from Christ, right, it's vanity, it's meaningless. It's this Hebrew word, hevel. It's this picture of, of this, this uh, meaningless. It's like the inside of a bubble that pops and has just gone away. And he says everything, all that you've put your work toward, all that you've done apart from relationship with God, apart from, from Yahweh being in his proper place of worship in his life, he says it's meaningless, it's worthless. It is nothing apart from God. Life under the sun, Solomon says, is meaningless. But what he allows us to see by the of Ecclesiastes is that in relationship with God, that everything has meaning. Everything you do, all of your relationships, all of your life, it has tremendous meaning and God uses it for his glory, but everything has to be properly ordered under worship to our God. Everything has to be there. And like Solomon, like he had a lot of things competing for his affection. Like can you imagine remembering the birthdays of all those people? Like... When's our anniversary, Solomon? He's like, I give up. I'm like, I don't know. Right? He had all these things, right, competing for his affection. He had all of these wives. He had all of these things. But here's the truth. See, there are a lot of things competing for your and our affection. There are a lot of things in this world. Right? The scripture says, love not this world, nor the things that are in the world. There's a lot of things that are competing for your affection, for your love, for your heart. There's a lot of things out there, so many things. But what we see in this passage is only when God is in his rightful place, only when he is first, only then do we find satisfaction in anything. See, Solomon's heart was drawn away from worshiping God. And I want to speak to you. If you're a deacon in this church, if you're a pastor, if you're, if you're a parent, you know, in all of us at some level, there are people that we lead in our lives. You know, as I read this, the weight and reality of the impact of Solomon's life, the impact of small things over time that drew his heart away, things that he would never imagine. You know, the, the old times used to say that sin will take you further than you want to go and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay and it'll cost you more than you want to pay, right? There's those kind of things trickling into his life. And when we think about those kind of things above all else, that's what Solomon would tell us in Proverbs 4.23. He would say above all else, right? Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flows the wellsprings of life. Another translation would say guard your heart above all else. See, as believers in Christ, we gotta be careful what's pulling at our heart. What we allow to creep in. We live in a culture where there's a constant trickle, right? The world, the systems of this world, the evil in this world, there's a, there's a constant pull. There's a constant pull for you young people. There's a constant pull that says, hey, the culture says this is okay. And the culture says this looks good. There, there's a constant pull that says, you know what? 
if you'll do that, and I want to tell you something, the, the thief, right, the enemy is coming and he's saying, you know what, if you'll give me your purity, I'll give you pleasure. If, if you'll give me uh, your, 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 I'll give you popularity. He's saying, if, if you, you give me what you got. See, that's the way Satan always works. He says, you give me what you got and I'll give you something better. But what we find out is that it never, ever measures up. And what we allow to creep into our lives, unless we deal with it, it will grow and it will do destruction in our lives, right? And we are to guard our heart. See, the best of intentions we could see in Solomon's life, but as his heart was led astray, and we can be in that same kind of mode. And the way into Solomon's, you know, life was through many wives. What is it? What is it for you? And my prayer this week has been that the Holy Spirit would speak to us individually. Like, what is it for you that is leading your heart away from worship? to the one true God? What is it that is, that is doing that, right? What are the things that are leading us away? And how do we deal with that? What do we learn from Solomon's life? And I want to give you just a few things to kind of take home, I hope, and that we can look at it. And, and the first thing I want to encourage you to do that we, that we need to protect our heart from passing pleasures, right? Satan is saying, hey, what's your what you think is going to fulfill, right? This is going to make you happy. If you just have this, if you just have these things, then everything is going to be just fine. See, the world's promise of pleasure. And by the way, sin is fun for a season. And I heard somebody say one time, if sin's not fun for a season, then you're probably not doing it right. And while that is true, it always ends Death. So the scripture says the wages of sin is death. Right, what we earn, and, and sin has a promise of pleasure for a moment, but it results in devastation, right? The, the lust of Solomon's heart for all these passing pleasures and the lust for these women and all these things, right? In those moments, it, it promised fulfillment. It promised pleasure. It promised all these things. And at the end of his life, he says, all is meaningless, right? Anything apart from Christ, right? What are we tempted in to find? What are we tempted to find our satisfaction in apart from God? What are we tempted to stray toward? Because it's only when Jesus is in his proper place that we can find fulfillment. We, we protect our heart from passing pleasures. We protect our heart also from personal pride. Right? We protect our heart from this. Scripture says that pride comes before a fall. And, and many times we say, you know what? I can handle this on my own. And if there's anything we can learn from these kings, right? We, we, we see David and we see Solomon and we see David who the scripture says was a man after God's own heart. And we see him uh, fall into sexual sin. We see his lust result uh, in in devastation, right? We see David and Bathsheba. We see murder. We see this man who was after God's own heart do all of these crazy things that we would have never thought. We see Solomon who, who leads the children of Israel, who leads God's people through this time of golden years. And then we see the kingdom divided because of his, his worship to other gods and, and his, his distraction from worship to Yahweh. We've got to be careful from personal pride and we've got to depend, right? Not on 
ourselves, but on Christ. That, that we understand that apart from Christ, because here's what can happen. We can come to church and we can develop this attitude that says, I'm holier than thou. And the world's sick of that, right? The world's sick of God's people walking around and, and, and having this attitude that somehow we are better than them. And I thank God that we're not a church like that, right? That, that we, that broken people are welcome here, right? Because we are all broken people. And apart from the work of God in our life, and apart from his grace, every one of us can be in the same mess. And so we don't look at people with some kind of holier than thou look. But we look at people as those that have been changed by the grace of God. And I'm reminded, I know my sin. The Apostle Paul said, uh, he said, Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And that's how we should live, right? There's a lot of mysteries about the way that God works and his saving grace and how he loves and his mercy. But the greatest mystery to me is that God would save me, right? That God would look into my life and in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of all my mess and my shame and all the things that I deserve to wrath for that God would save me, that in Christ alone, by his grace, that he would save me. And if he'll save me, he'll save anybody, right? And so we tell everybody. So we protect ourselves from personal pride. We protect ourselves from prohibited partnerships. Listen, young people in this room and, and, and all of us, right? We protect our heart, right? We guard ourselves from prohibited partnerships. First Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. This morning uh, in Sunday school, I had an opportunity to, to meet and talk with Elizabeth Trammell and, and she's one of our kids that had just questions about following Jesus. And I love uh, talking to your children, talking to people anytime that they have questions. It's just a treasure to me to have that blessing. And so we're talking about the Lord and we're walking through those kind of things. And I asked her a question and she I said, what do you think the Lord's telling you in these moments? And she said, well, I'll tell you one thing. He's telling me uh, to listen to my parents and do what they say, but not my brother. And the reality is, right, we've got to be careful who we allow uh, to speak into our life. We've got to be careful uh, of those kind of things. Because bad company corrupts good morals. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we see this uh, verse. And in some translations, it would say, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The, the NASB says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Listen, here's the thing. We're to have relationships. We're to have uh, people in our lives like we are called to go into the world, but not to be part of the world. And as we go, we are light in the midst of that. And we should share the good news of the gospel. And there should be people in our lives, right? There should be people that I'm meeting with and that I'm, I'm, I'm going to, to take to a lunch or a breakfast and with, with a heart of sharing the good news of the gospel. But we've got to be careful of those that we allow in our inner circle, of those that we allow into our close friendships groups, of those that we would pursue as a spouse, of those that we would date, of those that we would engage with in those kind of ways. Because here's the thing, right? If, if we need to be pursuing those that are pursuing Christ, right? We've got to be careful. Who do we choose as friends? Who do we choose as business partners? Who do we choose as those kind of relationships, spouses, right? And, and we, we've got to be careful. We've got to be wise in those things. And by the way, young ladies and young men in this room, I, I just want to tell you something, young ladies. He will lie to you. Like, are you a Christian? Like, you are pretty. And yes, ma'am, if that's one of the questions that you have, I'm definitely a Christian, right? I want you to understand, we need to be fruit inspectors. And we need to see people, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the people that you allow into your life, they need to be pursuing God along with you. And if they're not, there's no room for those kind of things. Because what you're going to see is they're going to lead your heart away and they're going to, they're going to cause just damaging things in your life. And so we've got to protect ourselves from, un, uh, from these, these relationships, right, that are prohibited. 
Now, if you're already in one of those relationships, if you're married and maybe you have an unbelieving spouse, Paul would tell us, hey, listen, you live your life in such a way that, that God is glorified and that, that, that your unbelieving spouse would see Jesus in you and you pray with everything that you have that they might know Jesus and that they might be saved and that God might convict their hearts. But listen, we've got to be careful of those relationships. And I can probably take you know, the young people's phones in this room and if I were to pick the top five text groups that you have and the top five people that you were engaging with, I could tell you so much about the direction of your life. And we've got to be careful who we are yoking up with. And finally, lastly, this morning, we've got to protect our heart from out of place priorities. And here's what sinks in maybe the most to me. There's some good things in our life that can find themselves elevated in the place of worship to God. Tim Keller defines an idol like this, and I like his definition. He said, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. See, the main problem in our lives. And when we look at our lives, there are good things. There, there are times where we've placed a relationship with a spouse in a place where we're desiring to get all of our satisfaction and where, where, where that pursuit is above God, right? The, the main problem in our life, I think it was Augustine who first said this. He said, the main problem in our lives is in disordered loves. We've taken things that are not necessarily bad. And, and maybe it's our children. Maybe you're a parent in here and we love our kids and we, we, we're so grateful for God's gift of children. But I want you to understand something. If we allow them to be in a place that only God should be, if we allow our, our spouse or our job or our work or any of these things to be in a place that is rightfully reserved for God, what happens is, is that we can't do, that, that those relationships first are never going to satisfy us and we're not going to be able to be who we need to be in those relationships either, right? We're going to see destruction. We're going to see damage because when we've elevated anything above our relationship with God, going to result in so much fallout. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then Matthew 6, all these things will be added unto you. What is it that's in our lives, that's in the place of God? And some of you are saying, hey, listen, I love Jesus with all my heart. We're a church that loves God. We love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't have any idols and I don't expect that I would go out to your house and find a, a, a calf out in the yard, right? I don't think they'd be like a golden calf or, or, a, or a, a, a pole, right? That we're worshiping different things or these, these images that are there. We're not gonna find those kind of things, but what is it that consumes your time? What is it that you, by, by the way that you practically live, what is it that you communicate is more important than God, right? We don't find ourselves, these people would look at idols, they would get in front of these and they would worship for hours. And here we are, many of us, we stare at this screen for hours and hours at a time. And we say, you know what? There's nothing in my life that's more important than God. There's nothing in my life more important than God. And I might ask you, hey, how's your Bible reading going? I hadn't done that in a long time. I, really hadn't had, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to, to but my relationship with God is fine, right? Because, but here's the thing. If, if, if reading the word of God and praying and spending time with God is not a priority in your life, then there are other things in your life that are more important than God. There's no other way around it. It's just the reality of the matter. That's where it is. And if we communicate that, if I tell you that my wife, right, is, is the most important human relationship to me outside of my relationship with God, and I don't spend time with her, then, then I'm telling you that is not my most important relationship. 
relationship. It is only demonstrated by my actions. It's only demonstrated by the way that I live. And so we've got to pursue Christ. He's got to be number one. We've got to prioritize the word. Look at this right here. Deuteronomy chapter number 17. I want you to go back because there's some instruction. God is so gracious. And, and, And by the way, as we see the warnings that are given to kings in this time, we understand that as we gather today, that as we open the word of God, that he has given us these things, that there might be warnings in our life, that there might be people that have misplaced priorities and they've misplaced things. And there's little things that have been creeping in our lives that are going to end in destruction. They're going to cost us in our families. They're going to cost us in the way that we live. And God has graciously allowed us to come under the word of God with the ability to repent and turn and change our direction. Deuteronomy 17, let's look at how the kings were instructed. Let's begin and let's start about verse 14. The scripture says this, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, right, this promised land, we walk through this series and you possess it and live in it. And you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor he shall cause his people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. So he says, listen, you're going out from those people. You're, you're, you're going to be separate from the world and you're not to be invested there. You shall never again uh, return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, Solomon. You shall not multiply wives for himself. Right? God gave us his plan in Genesis, right? That one man and one woman, right? For forever, right? They would come together in the covenant of marriage. He said, you shall not multiply wives for himself or else his heart. Here's the warning, right? Here's the warning. Or else his heart will turn away nor shall he increase greatly silver and gold. And if you read some of those chapters, you see how Solomon was, was, was increasing in those kind of areas. So his pursuit of the lust of, 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 of these foreign women, right? And, and we see his lust and his, his putting up of all these things, right? He's greatly increasing silver and gold for himself. And then it says in verse 18, now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law. So here he is. Here's how you're going to live as king. Here's how you're going to find success and you're going to lead your people well. Here's how you're going to find success as you walk in the midst of this crazy world. He says, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. He's going to take the word of God. And then in verse 19, it says, it shall be with him and she shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. How do we learn to fear the Lord our God? We lean into his word. We spend time with him. We learn who he is. We learn of his love for us. And he says, listen, we learn, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully, not just hearing, Right? James says, don't be forgetful hearers, but be doers of the word by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statues. And here's what's going to happen. He says, if, we, if he does that, his heart, verse 20, may not be lifted up above his countrymen. And then he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or left so that he and his sons may continue long in the kingdom in the midst of Israel. And so here we've we see the results of disobedience to the word of God. We see these results of little things creeping in slowly and, and his heart being led astray 
from worship. And sometimes we come into this place, maybe on a, on a Sunday morning, and if this is the only time when, when the band begins to sing and when we lift our voices, if this is the only worship that we have, right? There's problems in that, right? Our whole lives are worship to God. It is not just a, a segment of our life. Everything is flowing out of a relationship with God. And when, when that happens, everything becomes worship. When Jesus is on the throne, when God is in the forefront of our lives, everything is worship. When he is in his rightful place, our work is worship. When he is in his rightful place, your school is worship. The way that you engage in your classes, the way you engage in your sports, the way that you do all of these things, your relationship with your spouse, the way that Sherry and I live, it reflects the gospel, right? When God is in his rightful place of worship and no longer am I trying to find satisfaction in my spouse and satisfaction in things because here's the deal. No matter how good they are, they will never, ever measure up. And if we leave those things on the throne, we're going to find out that we're going to pursue and pursue and pursue. And like Solomon, we're going to look back and we're going to say, everything I've done, it's meaningless. It's not accounted for anything. But if we put him in his rightful place of worship, and we surrender to him as Lord, then all of a sudden our marriages and our children and our families and our jobs and our schools and our sports and everything that we do, it has meaning. And the meaning is that we might live and that we might do whatever we do in a way that would glorify God and that would lift high his name. And some of you are saying, you know, we read these passages and we think, man, I just wish maybe I could have an opportunity like Solomon. Like, what would you ask God for, right? You might have read chapter three and you said, you know what? I wish that I could have that kind of moment that I could ask God for wisdom, that I could ask God for those kind of things. And what I want to declare to you this morning is that God has given us the greatest thing that we could ever ask for in this life. He has already offered to us the greatest gift that could ever be given, the greatest gift we could ever imagine or ask for in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book of Colossians says in chapter two that it is in him, right, that, that the true knowledge of God's mystery is in Christ himself, in whom all the treasures of wisdom found. Solomon said, watch over your heart with all diligence. You should be careful. I believe God wants us to hear that this morning. I don't know where we're at. I don't know what things are coming into our lives. I don't know what things are already distracting us from the worship of God. But guard your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart for from it flows the wellsprings of life.